warm welcome as he comes up uh, to preach to us tonight. Lord, I just pray for Steve. Lord, thank you for what a blessing he is. And I know that he's got a real uh, heart for you. I know that he's really got a message tonight that he knows that uh, you want to deliver to us. So, Lord, I do pray for all of us here tonight. Would you give us ears to receive, uh, hearts to receive, and ears open to hear everything that you want to say to us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cheers, Al. Thank you. Oh, good to see you all. Now, um, today I'm going to be uh, speaking about uh, two titles of God that we hear, or hear most often actually in worship songs, um, and we do hear quite a bit in the Bible, but uh, less so obvious, and um, these titles are two titles of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Root of David, and the other title is the Lamb that is slain, and I'll be explaining tonight the meaning of these said titles and why it's important we understand that God as both Lion and the Lamb. And in doing so, I'll be reading from Revelation 5. So um, please turn to Revelation 5 when you have a moment. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to send ahead notice for them to write it up. So if you haven't got a Bible, I apologize, but I will be reading it out and I'll try and make it as interesting as possible. Uh, and... Uh, while I'll be going through this, I'll be drawing out four points of one, that he is in control, two, that Jesus is the true king, and three, Jesus is the only savior, and lastly, how do we follow him? And if, um, yeah, as you're turning, I'll just share a couple of stories. Um, yeah, while I was preparing this preach and thinking about lions and lambs, um, I uh, came across a story about a man who encountered a lion, um, and what it is, there's a, in 2015, this South African guy visiting a city zoo um, thought it would be a good idea to climb the, the fence of the lion enclosure and then jump amongst the lions, and the inevitable happens, he gets mauled and it's not pretty, and it, yeah, and I was, just, I was quite shocked that someone would do such a thing, and I thought, shall I Google anyone else done this? And to my horror, to my disbelief, you would not believe how many people across the world have tried this stunt, have, uh, have been stupid enough to jump in a lion's den. And uh, just a quickly, a second story. Uh, this, one, this time in England, in 1993, a man in uh, London Zoo managed to break into the lion enclosure. And um, he thought he was quite clever. He, he had uh, with him two plucked carcasses of chickens. And he threw them to the lions in, in an attempt just to be able to get close to them while they're distracted by those. Unfortunately, the lions had no interest whatsoever in the chickens and inevitably mauled him. Um, so two very unfortunate events of uh, people encountering lions. And there will be a third story uh, that I'll share a little later of, of another man who encounters a lion. Okay. We, okay, if we look at now Revelation 5, oh no, yes, that's what I was going to do. Just to give you a background of Revelation, um, it is quite an uh, out there book. It is uh, very uh, popular to be made films of and to be accentuated and sensationalized. And, um, and uh, hopefully today I'll help uh, us all to get to grips with Revelation. Um, and just to give you a background of uh, who wrote it, why it was written. Um, this book was written by the Apostle John, who was uh, a very good friend of Jesus, probably knew him the best. 
He was, in fact, the last disciple standing when he wrote this in 95 AD, thereabouts. He was uh, in exile on the island of Patmos, and things were, yeah, well, <laughs> weren't going too well, really, for the, the, the Christian followers of that time. Like I said, he was the last disciple standing. Uh, Christians were being ruthlessly uh, persecuted by the Romans. They were being uh, thrown to the, the lions in games. And, and also, in some circumstances, used as human torches to light up the emperor's gardens. Um, and to make matters worse, that uh, there was, uh, at this time, false teaching, um, breaking into the churches there, and people were giving themselves over to sin and immorality. And what had started as so promising as such a, a, an exciting big growth of, of uh, Christian community is now looking quite weak and quite fragile, and it was into this mess that... Uh, this, this, this disciple John got this vision from Jesus. And Jesus gives him this vision of, of what is happening and what is going to happen. And he, and he does so from, God, from heaven's perspective. And so we see these different images. We see these different visions throughout Revelation of, of what's happening now, what has gone before, and what is going to happen um, in time to come. So, Revelation 5. Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, and with the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And he, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to open the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard all around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering and myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth, in the sea and all that's in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to him who uh, uh, sits on the throne be glory, blessing, honor and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Freaky, yeah? <laughs> we've got angels, we've got living creatures, we've got horns, we've got eyes. There's a lot there to get through. And we're gonna, I'm going to try my hardest to uh, explain, help, describe what is going on here. And how actually this is really cool. Really, really cool. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> in verses 1 and 2, uh, we see here that God holds in his hand a scroll, and it's uh, sealed with seven seals. And, um, and it's very similar to a, a book and a scroll referenced in, uh, in the book of Daniel. And um, so it's widely believed that this scroll it represents the uh, heavenly book obtaining God's plan and the destiny of the world. And unsealing it would represent God accomplishing and fulfilling his promises which he had made throughout history. Promises of hope, salvation, of promises of judgment and wrath and retribution. And so when we see uh, in verse 3 and 4, like, that, that no one is found worthy to open this. No one is found worthy to fulfill the promises of God. It's no wonder we see John, the disciple, break down and weep. For, all, for his entire life, he's been knowing these promises, that, that there will be a saviour, that there will be one that will redeem, that will bring hope and salvation. And he sees that no one, not even the great saints have gone before him, Abraham, Elijah, David, John the Baptist, none could open the scrolls. And he weeps in hopelessness. And then we get to verse 5 of the angel comes in. <laughs> One of the heavenly beings says to John, don't worry. Stop crying. It's okay. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David is here. He has conquered and he can open the scroll. This is a reminder that although the life of the world can seem messy, hopeless, ridiculous, that... <sighs> Salvation is, is never going to be found through us, never going to be found through human effort. And, and as great as it is to, to, to care for the poor, and as great as it is to, to, to try and stop wars and, and to feed the hungry, these are all great things. But it's almost like using a plaster to cure someone with a disease. It's not going to work. You need a cure. There's a much bigger problem at work here. And uh, we see here that an angel reveals to, to John that hope is found in God's. And we need to know that God is in control. No matter how messy it looks outside, no matter how messy it gets each week with people doing different, disgusting things, that God is in control. And our hope is found in Him. And we're going to take verse 5 and dig a little deeper. Why this title? Why is Christ referred to as the Lion of the tribe of Judah? And to help us uh, understand, uh, I've got an illustration, which I think will help. And it, I'm just quickly going to use Game of Thrones to help illustrate this. Now, Game of Thrones is the biggest and most successful TV show of our time, based upon the fantasy books written by George R. Martin. It has a TV audience estimated at 50 million people worldwide. It is a story about kings and queens similar to our own medieval time of history. And in the land, this fantasy, fantasy land of Westeros, there are seven kingdoms, and whoever sits upon the Iron Throne commands them all. Naturally, with such power at stake, different families try to lay claim to it, either by war, bribes, assassinations, and suppression of the truth of the rightful heirs. Each ruling monarch is as bad and as evil as the last who stole the throne. And the people of Westeros are the ones suffering, suffering badly from constant war, crippling debt of the governing state. While this is all going on, while there's all this mess going on, we, the viewers, the readers, are shown two leaders in different parts of the fantasy world who are strong, who are courageous, who are good-hearted, righteous. 
And each season, each book that goes by, we find out a little more about them. Hints, suggestions, and clues that these two people are actually rightful heirs to the Iron Throne. And each successive season that passes, we, the viewers, are left longing and crying out, when will they seize the right to claim the Iron Throne? The whole of Westeros in this fantasy world is crying out for a righteous king or queen that will bring peace to the land and punish the wicked oppressors and redeem the broken nation. Fifty million people around the world are waiting with bated breath to see a rightful heir take their seat on a ruling throne in a fantasy world in a fantasy book. In the real world, how many people have been waiting, have been crying out throughout history of when? When will someone bring salvation? When will someone hear my prayer? When will someone redeem and bring justice? And when will there be hope? I've shared this uh, illustration because similar to Game of Thrones, uh, God has been giving hints, suggestions, and clues through to who this world's saviour is. He's been doing it since day one with Adam and Eve. And uh, to Eve, he said that in Genesis 3.15, that your seed shall bruise the serpent's head and at the cost of bruising his heel. To Abraham, he says that surely through you that the, the nations of the world will be blessed and, <laughs> and you will be a blessing to them. Descendant of Abraham, son of Jacob, Judah. This is where we get the reference of tribal Judah, lion. <laughs> Genesis 49, verse 8. Judah is a lion's cub, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. 800 years later, God, another of God's clues is when he says to Samuel, I'm sending you to Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Jesse's youngest son becomes king. And then we get Nathan, a prophet, who says to David, through your descendants, there will be a king that rises up, that will have a dominion and a kingdom that will be everlasting, and that he will be a savior to the world. And the house of David ruled for 400 years. And for much of that time, they were so awful that you wonder if God had made a mistake. Yet the Old Testament prophets who rebuked them for their sin also promised that a greater king is coming. That David's house, who, from David's house, who will rule in justice and righteousness. He will bring God's promised salvation to people from every nation. Isaiah promises that the Messiah will shoot up as the root of Jesse. And that he will reign on David's throne forever. Micah adds that he will be born in David's hometown of Bethlehem ringing bells, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all speak of him as a branch who will come from David's line and rule forever on his throne. Another 400 years pass, and then we get to the book of Matthew, the start of the New Testament, which starts with Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the one who is, uh, is an heir to the, to the covenant of promise to Abraham, the, the, Abraham, the one who is an heir to the covenant of a uh, promised king, of a saviour to the, to related to the line of David. This is him. This is the saviour of the world. This is who we've been waiting for. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is the king of kings. This is a clear indication, declaration even, that Jesus is the only way. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Vishnu, not by our own way can we come to God. And no peace. Only through Jesus can we know God. Jesus himself says in verses uh, John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
this is my sacred boat. That like, Jesus is our king. And more than just a, a cross-reference to help us understand that he is the true king. To pick this particular verse and promise of likening God to a lion brings with it all the other references of, of God's power and, and actions being likened to a, a lion, uh, which more often than not in the, uh, throughout the Bible uh, <laughs> talk about God's judgment and justice being brought against his enemies, against those who've inflicted pain and misery on others, on those who've rejected God and defiled themselves. In Jeremiah 25, 30, God, the, the Lord, he says, he announces that the Lord will roar from high, from his holy habitation, utter his voice. And it goes on to say that for the Lord has an indictment against the nations. He is entering into judgment with all flesh, and the wicked he will put to the sword, declares the Lord. Joel 3.16, the Lord roars from Zion. He utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Jeremiah 4.7, Jeremiah 49.19, and there are so many more to uh, similar comparison and verses of, uh, of God's power being likened to that of a lion. The power of God is both terrifying and awesome. Much like the power of a lion is both terrifying and awesome. And this is, I find this challenging, I find this also comforting, that the thought that those who have caused so much misery, those that do such wicked things, um, will not escape justice. That God, he who is just, has absolute power. He is unmatched, unrivaled, and, and those who do such things will meet the full force of that power. Justice will be served. How many times have we seen that, that people, you know, they blow themselves up uh, and hurt so many people, and death for them is, that's not, that, that's not a judgment, but they, they're, they're, trust me, they're about to experience the judgment of God. And we can find comfort, we can find strength in that, and that we have a God who is just, who is fair, who sees the heart of man, who knows us inside and out, and that he is a lion in the sense that he is terrifying, but awesome. scene changes. We get to verse 6. And it's uh, not the lion who reads the scroll, but, but the lamb. And, uh, and this, this lamb, he, he seems to be standing, although looks like he, he's dead. And it has seven horns and seven eyes. And since the beginning of time, there has been uh, an issue with sin, and it you know, it's got us out of the garden, messed us up our relationship with God. And since since then, there has been a, a, a need to reconcile, a need to, to uh, recompense and, and to pay a debt to God. And that was through sacrificing of animals and of, 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 bestowing, of, of uh, praying their sins upon the animals and, and killing them. And that, that would be a, a, a sacrifice that would pay their debt of all the things that they've done wrong. And that's been going on throughout the whole, whole Old Testament. Many animals died, many, 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 many. And it wasn't seeming uh, to be 
massively effective. It, it was seeming a bit weird. Like, what, you know, something's not quite right here. And God has had his perfect plan since day one that there was going to be a perfect sacrifice. And that he told his people, and he's been telling his people throughout the whole history, as well as these promises of salvation and, and kingship and, and one who will rule, that he's been promising that there will be one that will take on the, the, the sin of the world, one that will take on our burden, our shame, our guilt. And we see this most clearly in Isaiah 53, where God reveals that his uh, perfect sacrifice is a man who willingly takes upon himself the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That perfect sacrifice, the lamb that was led to the slaughter, standing as though it had been slain. They are the same and the one. They are Jesus Christ. His death on the cross has paid our debts completely. His death had wiped our slate. Well, in fact, he took our slate and gave us a new one, his one. He, he, he did not open his mouth. And we need to understand that he could have. That with just one word, he could have summoned millions of angels. With just one word, he could have struck everyone down dead that was opposing him. And the seven horns that we see in this picture and revelation of this lamb um, tell us that in the Bible, horns depict uh, power. And um, the, the number seven, um, it's important that we notice whenever you read Revelation, that the seven, it, it, it represents completeness, perfectness. And so this picture of seven horns upon this lamb is to, to help us to, to get to grips that 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 the lamb that was slain, that was silent before its accusers, was not silent out of fear, but was silent out of complete and utter obedience with complete and utter power and perfect power. And at any moment, he could have changed the situation just like that. And that just goes to... <laughs> blows your mind as to the obedience to the love to the to the, the decision that Jesus took in order uh, to save us that he went through this process of, of being killed uh, purely by choice and, and uh, obedience to his father because he loved us This is demonstrated further by the fact that he rose from the dead. That he defeated death. The, la the, the, the slain lamb that is standing shows us two things, really. Firstly, it shows us that Christ really did die um, and, and pay our debt. It's important that we know that. And, and you know, don't think that, try and get confused by it. Maybe he didn't really die. Because no, he did. He had to die in order to pay our debt. So he did really die. And that his sacrifice is and will be sufficient forever. And that we can often think that, that he, he may well have died for these sins, but for, for, for these ones, no way, no, if you knew what I'd done, no, he would never have died for that. But Christ died for the iniquity of us all that would choose to follow him. 
He took our wickedness. He took our violations. He took all our injustices upon himself and settled it. And secondly, it is only through the death and resurrection of Christ that the purposes and promises of God can be fulfilled. We see that the, the scroll is opened and it's read. And that's only because, because the, 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 the death and resurrection of the Lamb and, and what has been achieved on the cross and that the fulfillment of the promises of God is through that entire process. And again, like we need to shake off the thought of, of new ageism of just love, man, of just give hugs and you'll be all right. Love will get us to heaven. It's, no, Jesus gets you to heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's not through Muhammad. It's not through Vishnu. It's not through Buddha. And it's not through anyone else or through yourself. It is through only Jesus Christ. When Jesus, our lamb, was stripped and beaten, he bore our shame. When he had a crown of thorns plunged into his skull and mocked, he took our self-righteousness. When he carried his cross to Golgotha, he bore our guilt. When he nailed to the cross and cried out in fear and anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bore our punishment. But then Jesus, our lamb, who is dying upon the cross, bleeding for us, taking our punishment, with his last breath, he roars as a lion and says, it is finished. The debt is settled. Our guilt, our shame, our sin is dealt with, paid for by the blood of Christ. He is the lion and the lamb. He is the sacrifice of grace and love. And he is the power who can conquer death. And it's not finished with his roar. This is just a foretaste of what he's about to do. <laughs> The lion of the tribe of Judah is his name. His rule and power shall never depart him. And in a display of his rule and power, he defeats death and is brought back to life. In doing so, he shows, he proves that his kingdom is one that will never fade. His kingdom, like himself, is everlasting. His rule is above every ruler. His kingship is above every king and queen. For who else has the authority over life and death, beginning and end? want to receive the fulfillment of the promise of your iniquities being dealt with, of your sin being uh, dealt with, of your shame being dealt with, of your guilt being dealt with, if you want to be, receive the fulfillment of the hearts, broken hearts made new, of blind eyes being opened and deaf ears opened, if you want to, to receive the fulfillment of the dead being raised and to see the promises of justice and uh, righteous anger being poured out, that it is all found and fulfilled through one man, Jesus Christ, in this death and resurrection. He is in control. He is the king. He is our savior. So how do we follow him? And we get to verses uh, 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God. Every, from every tribe and language and people and nation. So firstly, I want to say, in, in relation to how you follow him, don't discount or discredit yourself. 
I am not worthy is not an argument. It's true. The truth is no one is worthy of this gift of salvation. It's something that no one can ever earn or buy. Verse 9 shows us in, in complete clarity how we who are unworthy, disgusting sinners receive such a gift. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Christ has paid your debt. Christ has done it all for you. And his blood is all that you need in order to receive salvation. His blood is all that you need to have your sins forgiven and your, your debt wiped. He has taken your place and died for you. It doesn't matter what background. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, how many different races are in you. That he has paid your price. He has died for you. It says that from every nation, from every tribe and every tongue, he will save people. It is not exclusive. It is all-inclusive for those who are willing, for those who are willing to submit to the will of God. The lamb that was slain has saved millions and billions of people from judgment. Just like the Passover lamb. In the great Exodus story, the great story of the people of Egypt being rescued from the slavery of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh. And how out of their desperation, they had experienced such uh, misery and such pain. They had seen their children being drowned. They had seen the, the old people work to death. They had been oppressed for so long. And they had been crying out for justice. They had been crying out. For, for, for Lord to save them. And <coughs> God answers their prayer. And he comes with a righteous justice. He comes with a righteous anger. And pours out his judgment upon Egypt through the plagues. Funny enough, the, the plagues actually uh, go completely against the, the Egyptian gods. They actually completely smash what the Egyptian gods stood for. And they made a mockery of the, 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 the piles of wood and uh, stone that, that they worshipped. And the, the important thing I'm trying to get here, sorry, is, is that on the final judgment, the final judgment that comes to Egypt, that God says to his people, says to people, that if you, are to, if you wish to be spared from this judgment, that you take a lamb, a lamb, and you sacrifice it, and you take the blood, and you wipe it on the doorposts, and that will save you. It's not what family you're part of. It's not what trade you are. It's not how old you are. It's not how what sex you are. It is purely by the blood of a lamb that saves you from the final judgment upon Egypt. And it's the same, exactly the same, if not more so, same with Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what age you are, what sex you are, or what nationality you are. That what you do is purely and utterly 100% dependent upon the blood of Christ. And secondly, we need to realize that we are in a new kingdom. That we have a new ruler. A new king of our life. This is a king with complete rule and power, who is righteous and just, who is to be revered and respected and to be obeyed. This is hard for us. We in the West hate authority. We ridicule it. We, we rub it in the dirt. We laugh at it. We ignore it. 
we, we go against authority. And it's hard for us in, in such a state to recognize authority rightly and, and to fall in line to a, a, a righteous authority. But we need to, we need to know that, that God is not corrupt, that he does not lie, that he has absolute power, that he is loving, that he is for you, he is not against you. And that it's only through him that you can experience salvation. It's only through him that you can experience uh, eternal life. Christ himself was crystal clear for all who want to follow him. In Mark 10, 17, we hear of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to follow you? What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says to him that you are to go and to sell all that you have. And then, once you've sold that, give to the poor and come follow me. And, uh, and the man walked away in, 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 in a desperate state, crying because he had so much wealth. And it, Jesus was not saying that all of us need to give up all our money and give it to the poor, although that would be pretty, pretty cool. Uh, he knew that the, for that man, that money was his God. He knew for that man that he worshipped money. And that he could not live without it. And that every decision that he would make in his life would be reflected upon how he uh, uh, treats and views money. And not how he t- sees and respects Christ. Mark 10, 37. Whoever loves... This is, this is, uh, yeah, this is, this is a tough one. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross... And follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For some of us, the decision to follow Jesus can and sometimes does cause upset in in our families. And Christ is coming in here and he's speaking into that situation and he's saying that I'm more important, that, that I am the only way, that it, it's me or, or nothing. And, and actually, uh, uh, there is another part of this I haven't quite read, but where if you love your, your children more than you, more than me, you're not worthy of me. And I've got time. Yeah, I've got quick time. Uh, just to share a story of my uh, a personal story, really, of, of I've had to, I've experienced, uh, and the result of that, um, it's a part of, partly a result of that, that, that 10 years ago, uh, when I was 19, my parents, um, full of faith and full of um, desire to, to follow Christ, chose to, to leave Hastings and to, to go to to Spain, to Valencia, and to set up a church. And for, for both them and us, the siblings, uh, the, their children, um, there was a real cost. They were, they, were putting, they were choosing, actually, to put Christ first. Um, and for them, it's been painful. It's, it has been hard at times. But, my gosh, I, I love 
seeing them work for the kingdom. I love seeing them, uh, the kingdom of God being advanced by my parents, despite the fact that I would love to see them each and every day. I would love to see them more. But I know that the, 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 there is a bigger thing at stake here. There is, there is a far greater cause than me spending a bit more time with my parents. They have a call upon their lives to go preach the gospel to those who don't know it. They have a call upon their lives to preach the gospel to those who are about to experience damnation and to save them. And actually, that is a far bigger, far bigger and, and more righteous call on someone's life that I believe than just to spend a bit more time with their son. And it does cost them. And it cost them even more now after 10 years when we've got grandchildren. But my God, I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for the example they set before me of what it is to follow Christ no matter what. They take their cross. They've denied themselves and they've gone. This is, this is the, the, what Christ is trying to get at. Of, of If you want to follow me, if you want to receive me, if you want to receive this gift of salvation, you must follow me. You must submit to me. You must repent of your life. He is king. God, in submitting to Christ, we've been given responsibility. He's, he's made us a kingdom and priests for God. And as priests, we are ones who are, are to, to glorify, magnify, and to, 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 to uh, help people, uh, encourage people to give glory to, to where it's due, to, to follow Christ in the right areas, to, to, to pick up his, his commandments and to encourage people in the, 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 the message of, of Christ. How important that message is. With what follows this passage in Revelation and understanding the judgment that has come, that is being poured out, and that one day will be completed on earth, everyone needs to know that there is salvation and that it is only through one man, Jesus Christ, who is revealed who the king who revealed himself and died for those who would repent and follow him, who one day will wrap things up for good, who will finish his perfect and complete judgment on the world and will finish by dividing the sheep from the goats, those who know him and those who rejected him. Now, I shared earlier two stories. I'll be quick. I shared earlier two stories of uh, people that encountered an alliance and um, they didn't particularly end too well. And... Uh, this third story is of, of a man called uh, Kevin Richardson. He's a, he's a South African. And um, while I was sort of uh, weirdly Googling people that met lions, um, I came across this guy. And it's a video. And I was like, mm, don't want to see this. Um, <laughs> and I watched it. And uh, you, you see this, this man in, in uh, what seems to be the bush in South Africa. And he's walking towards a uh, full adult lion. And... Um, and the lion is, is, is coming towards him, and he's sort of not sure quite how this is going to go. And the lion sort of slowly at first, but then sort of kind of pick up, picks up the pace, beginning to think this is, this is a wrong decision to make watching this. And, and then the lion jumps upon him, and rather than biting his head off or digging his nails and, and mauling the man to death, he embraces the man 
and then they, they fall on the floor and they're, they're rolling on the floor like uh, family, you know, like they're wrestling and they're loving one another. And it's just a bizarre, bizarre scenario. Like, and it's, this man is, is nicknamed the Lion Man. And it turns out that he, he's known this lion for eight years. And he's, he's spent time with this lion, building a relationship. And that the lion actually has, has accepted this man into his fold, into his pack. And my point is that all of us one day will meet the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's, it's not about what you've done, whether it be some chickens you're trying to throw at him. It's not about who you are, if you think you're going to survive in front of the lion. It's about, does he know you? The most, I think, damning and challenging verse in the Bible, I find, <laughs> challenging for myself, is in Matthew 7, verse 21, which is what I finished with. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We stand. The band would like to come back up. Sorry, Nick. We could close your eyes, and um, I want to give an opportunity tonight that uh, if you don't know Christ. If you don't know God and, and you would like to, you would like to, to receive this, uh, this gift of salvation, you would like to uh, repent and, and give your life to Christ, I just want you to think about that right now. Keeping your eyes closed. I'll give you a bit of time to think about that. And I'll give you the opportunity in a minute to respond if you want to. For those of us that are Christians here, those that call this church home, I want to... Uh, encourage you, provoke you, that um, how are you following Christ? Is he your, your king of Sundays? Is he, uh, or is he the king of your life? And that there's too much to be, at, there's too much at stake to <coughs> mess about or just dip your toe in. It's all or nothing. And in the moment when the band start up, I want to ask for yourselves, is, is tonight, whether you've been a Christian 10 years, 40 years, two days, that we can make, make a fresh line in the sand. That actually tonight, yeah, God, you are my king. You are terrifying but awesome. More than that, you are so loving. So gracious, you, you, you took it all, you did it all. Just because you love us, you chose us. Now to the first people, look, if, I hope you had enough time to think about it. And everyone with their eyes still closed, if you would like to respond to Christ tonight, could you just raise your hand? It's only me looking.
okay, cool. I'm just going to say a prayer, and if you want to say that prayer with me, you're more than welcome to. Lord, I thank you for what you did on that cross. I thank you that that death should have been me, but you, you took my place. I thank you for that. I, I'm sorry for all the for the sin that put you there. I'm sorry for doing things my own way. And, uh, and so today I want to choose to follow you. I want to put that life behind me and to follow you as my king, as my saviour. And Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life from this day forth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Over to you, Nick.